Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Swig of water. All right, so today's podcast topic is the performance review. More harm than good. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so I think the title speaks for itself on that one. So today in the podcast, uh, we're going to discuss performance reviews, also known as performance appraisals or annual reviews, along with the over-idea of uh, managing performance for employees and organizations. So regarding the formal performance review, we'll talk about why doing these things is a, actually a good idea. And we'll also talk about how they can be problematic, which I'm sure most of our listeners' minds went to immediately um, yeah. with the topic. So, and, and along with some key implications and considerations for employee man, uh, employees and managers. So That's right. So I guess we'll start off with what is a performance review and uh, what purpose do they supposedly serve, Ben? Sure. Yeah. So the performance review, uh, as we know them in the, at least in the the scholarly literature, we call them performance appraisals. Uh, Same thing we're talking about here. This is those, um, you know, the, the formal systems and processes that many organizations use to assess and document employee performance. So before we get into that too much, uh, you know, Chris, what um, what have your experiences been with performance reviews? Well, it's kind of been like one of those mandatory family fun times, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in an organization, like times when I've been reviewed, um, generally there's some kind of form from HR, right? Yep. And I haven't really had, um, and maybe this is just my bum luck, but any managers do it really well. Um, maybe we so you t- have not you have not had any managers do it really well, right? So um, you know they'll sit down with the form and then they'll talk. Or generally, the manager is uncomfortable, um, mm-hmm. and they'll go through and generally, if they can talk to like if it was a sales organization or something that had some like really concrete goals, like that would be the more positive elements. Like, hey, you know, you were 10% over goal or you hit this many widgets per hour or something like that. But when it came to the soft stuff, um, it was generally more like going through going through the motions. And mm-hmm. I know that cons- clients we've consulted with or even seeing executives rate their direct subordinates, people who've supposedly had a lot of experience with this, it just has been really lackluster. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I understand the literature piece of it, but pragmatically, I have not seen it done well, really ever. Right. What What about uh, you, Ben? Yeah. So I've had a, a quite a bit of experience doing performance reviews, reviewing other people, and of course, having my own performance evaluated. Uh, both in civilian organizations and certainly in the military as well. 
And, you know, I kind of have a similar reaction. Uh, Sometimes, oftentimes, in fact, it can feel rather perfunctory, something that, you know, you have to do. It's an administrative burden. Um, You know, sometimes it can be just kind of a, a rehash of things that you already know, right? So maybe your supervisor is telling you that you did really well on certain things and so forth. And actually, in the military, I don't know how it is in the, the Army or the National Guard, uh, you know, for me, in the Navy, the typical process is that you will actually, you know, write your own performance review in terms of kind of the comments on there. And then you provide this to your supervisor, your supervisor messes with them and changes them as necessary or whatever. And so, you know, it's kind of an, unex- you know, you, you totally expect what you're going to get. It's not a big surprise usually. Um, <laughs> right. And, it's so uh, weird, right? Writing your, you know, what do they call it? The, um, the prep form. We, we do the same thing. You, yeah. What did you do this last year? Oh, here's a laundry list. And then at least for me, my bosses have been like, yeah, sounds good. And just, you know, Signed feedback yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and then we also have as part of, um, in the Navy, we have part of our form, we have a variety of different characteristics upon which you're rated, you know, from one to five and so forth. And so, you know, overall, I don't have a huge problem with how it's done. Um, but, you know, it, it's not not particularly thrilling. It is a bit of an administrative burden. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the purposes that performance reviews, performance appraisal is supposed to uh, serve, there are a couple different purposes. And one of them is supposedly they're supposed to help us with some of these within-person purposes. So, for example, helping a person to identify their strengths and weaknesses, perhaps providing some developmental feedback, helping a person set goals. Maybe it's an opportunity to suggest some training or development programs. So that's kind of one category of, of purposes that performance reviews can serve. Another one is um, between per- person purposes. So this is where you're trying to compare people. Uh, you have team members and you're trying to figure out who has performed better to justify a promotion, a merit pay increase, or perhaps even terminating a person, or as toast. the Brits like to call it, yes, toast, <laughs> as, as the Brits like to call it, sacking. It's one of my favorite things from the Brits, uh, right? Uh, uh, yes. Great so, Monty so was Python sacked. stuff there. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so that's the between pur- person purposes. And then there's these, what we call system maintenance purposes. So um, if we have a good performance review system where we are um, you know, to some degree of accuracy, measuring people's performance, then we can use those data to validate our selection assessments. So we could look at, for example, you know, the performance criteria or the selection criteria that we used. It could be scores on a test. It could be how they did in interviews. And over the course of time and in a larger organization, we could actually look at the statistical relationships between how they performed on different aspects of their hiring process and their subsequent performance. And that can provide us with validation of, hey, there is a relationship between what we're doing to try to pick people and their future performance. Um, So that's one uh, possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, 
It also perhaps supposedly could help us identify some training needs across the organization if we're noticing. And again, this is all assuming that you are, as an organization, systematically analyzing these things and you're doing this all, uh, you know, in an accurate way. Um, Less than one percent of one percent of yeah, HR. probably <laughs> right. Yeah, these are these are fairly problematic assumptions. Um, but assuming you're doing that, then perhaps you could identify some training needs across the organization. Uh, another reason that performance reviews are certainly done is just to document some information about some personnel decisions that were made, kind of to keep track of a person's career, so to speak. Uh, so those are some different reasons why um, performance reviews are used and some purposes that they can serve. Yeah, so it's like it's like some food groups here. It's like, hey, there's something for the individual um, and then there's a bunch of legal stuff to CYA for the org, right? <laughs> that That is part of it, right? And, and yeah. if you get the real cool person points, you've got some analytics around that to improve decision-making. But um, mm-hmm. that, that would be only among the best organizations, at least in my experience. Yes, yes. I, I would tend to agree. And, you know, these uh, the criteria that are used on these um, different forms or in these different systems can vary. Some of the methods include, you know, what we, I would kind of call, quote unquote, objective measures. And I'm using little scare quotes here, right? Objective measures um, such as sales or productivity. And the reason I'm a little hesitant to call them straight up objective is that they're not always as objective as we think they are. You know, so if you got a if you're measuring everybody on their sales performance and one of your salespeople happens to have a territory that is just dominated by the competitor, <laughs> that's not going to be as true of a reflection of their effort and their performance as it might be for someone who is in a completely unsaturated market and has much more opportunities and uh, it's much easier for them to, to make uh, more sales. So that's just you know a simple right. example, but um, things on in a performance review should ideally be things that are under the person's control. Um, more common on most performance reviews is some sort of subjective measure. Right. So this would be the rate a person uh, you know one one to five on some sort of characteristic. And one of the best practices here is to create and use what's called a behaviorally anchored rating scale. Bars. Bars. Yes, indeed. And and so basically all this is, is a, um, you'll have, for example, let's say you're rating someone on leadership and you have one through five on, on that scale, one, five being the best and one being not so great. (laughs) What, what you would have is, uh, your life quantified. Exactly. So, you know, so under each one of those, you would have different behavioral anchors. You'd have examples of what a one looks like. You'd have examples maybe of what a three looks like and what a five looks like. Uh, You know, so one might be, you know, uh, uh, this person couldn't, uh, you know, lead their way out of a box, right? Um, You know, (laughs) five, (laughs) five, five might be something more extraordinary, right? And this is a this is a good idea if they are well developed because it can help to um, provide some guidance to the rater, the supervisor, or whomever's doing doing the rating um, to try to calibrate them and have there be some consistency across raters. It can help with that, or at least provide some guidance in terms of what right looks like uh, on right. that particular characteristic. Yeah, you know it's it's so challenging here. Um, my view is you can't have these measures bought off the shelf. 
right? Mm. So if you mm. if you're in in the HR function or making these decisions for your organization, you know, there's lots of vendors out there that'll sell you something, you know. Yeah. Or heck, just go use the militaries, right? Mm-hmm. Um but for these to be bought into well, like the whole idea of like, it seems to be a bit of a campy handshake between the organization and the individual. It's like, okay, you got to do this to CYA. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if the manager's really using this to help develop me as a person or assess what I'm really doing. Um, because we talk about a lot of the work that happens in organizations is kind of in the white space, right? Mm-hmm. Of the org mm-hmm. chart. And, and then on top of that, if you have the measures just completely esoteric and not related directly to the cultural norms or um, some core competencies that are really related to how work gets done there, I mean, it's just a massive opportunity for, you know, coming off the tracks as far as something that's meaningful to achieve, like some kind of results that's helpful to the individual and helpful to the organization. Right. And I think what you're speaking to there is it really needs to be relevant to the organization and to the person's job. Uh, And that's for a variety of reasons. One being that it's more objectively fair and fairness is huge, right? With in terms of how people perceive performance. Yeah, it's got to at least Um, look fair. Maybe it's not fair in reality, but if it feels (laughs) that way, it's way better, right? Well, what's interesting is like, like, you know, it can be objectively fair, um, but if it doesn't feel fair from the perspective of the person who's being rated, then it's not fair, right? It, subjective fairness actually really matters here. People have to believe that the process is fair, and they have to uh, trust that that it is an accurate Absolutely. reflection of their of their performance. So, um, you know, again, opening up a whole nother set of problematic things that can creep in to this whole idea of rating people's performance. Um, but, you know, I think it, it's also important to think about performance reviews, performance appraisals as fitting underneath a broader umbrella of what we call performance management. So this is kind of a phrase I like to use as this umbrella term to describe both that formal piece of performance appraisal and the informal parts of dealing with uh, employee performance, which is more like coaching, uh, you know, periodic, uh, you know, situationally based, say, like, you know, conversations between supervisors and employees about their performance. Uh, you know, so performance management being the overall umbrella, performance appraisal is one part of that. Right. Kind of like coaching per se, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and of course, there are other types of performance assessment. Um, you have those informal conversations. You have multi-rater feedback, right? You have the 360 process whereby you're getting rated not just by your direct supervisor, but also by maybe your direct reports and your peers and so forth. Uh, Those are generally best for developmental purposes to help the person improve. So it's maybe not tied to some personnel decision about pay or promotion and so forth. Um, But of course, these are other options that organizations have to help with this whole idea of performance management. Uh, Because, you know, Organizations are trying. There's a sense that we, we need to have some sort of accountability. We need to have some sort of way to um, understand how people are doing, to provide them some feedback, to make sure that we're trying to uh, help people perform increasingly better. And 
to date, like these are some of the tools that we've come up with in the world of management. These are our best, worst ideas. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, I think our listeners can probably gather that we have some cynical views about performance reviews. Uh, but before we start to trash them completely, um, well, maybe we should talk a little bit about some of the reasons why performance reviews are good. Yeah, let's, let's focus on the uh, sunny side of the street here. They are actually <laughs> really awesome. Um, okay. When let's they're calibrated and done yeah. right. I, we just want listeners to know that we realize that this is out in the workplace. A lot of this is garbage for yep. the average person, and we empathize with that. So here's some of our attempts at helping improve the world of work for anybody that can execute on some of these suggestions. So Yeah. Well, and so I think it's important to realize that the formal performance review process is not actually that great at helping to improve people's performance or behavior. It's it kind of has a, has a separate sets of purposes. If we treat it as something that's definitely going to change people's behavior, um, that's not really the the best way to look at it. I think uh, now, of course, there can be some behavior change that happens, but generally, performance reviews are good for some other reasons from the organization standpoint. Uh, as we've kind of already alluded to, they are important for legal purposes. It is good for an organization to, in particular, document poor performance prior to firing someone. We've both worked with organizations that have had either not very great performance review processes or non-existent performance review processes or performance reviews that just rate everybody as awesome. And then they right. have a problematic employee and they're like, well, we want to get rid of this person. Uh, well, how can you? They, you have six months of awesome performance reviews. Exactly. So you <laughs> fire that person, and that person's going to turn right around, and you know their next call is going to be to the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and they're going to be filing some sort of lawsuit. They're going to be talking to their attorney, uh, saying that they were... How, uh, how was I four years a stellar employee, then yeah. woke up a numbskull the next day? You know. Right, and the, and there's going to be an argument that you know you're firing me for some something about me in terms of my gender or my race or my age. Um, you know, you fired me because you know you just don't like me. It had nothing to do with my performance. So, you know, the the CYA, the legal aspect of this, it's unfortunate, but it is something that performance reviews can help with. And I'm all for. Um, organizations getting rid of poor performers because that that is uh, problematic for a variety of reasons. It's bad for the person themselves because they they probably know that they're underperforming and it's not not fair to them. It's also in particular not fair to the people around them uh, and and to the team. Right, so, but, but keeping it on a positive note, Ben, it's so easy to get negative here, right? <laughs> right. It is. So so they're good because you need to document the idea that, hey, we're actually headed down a disciplinary route mm -hmm. with you. And, you know, it can kind of be a wolf in sheep's clothing, this idea mm -hmm. of, oh, well, this is all about helping you be better and letting you know what your manager thinks, you know, and, you know, Candyland, Kumbaya, right? <laughs> but I, I think a good thing is you do have to have something that documents performance. So you're not waking up saying, well, what the heck? Nobody talked to me about the fact that my performance was derailing my career here. I like here right. and I want to do right. 
Um, yeah, yes. but it's not a tool. So, so the good thing is that we need to communicate that the performance reviews are an organizational type tool. That's mm-hmm. not, let's, let's dump a lot of the performance and behavioral improvement elements. Cause if we take away that charade, right, we can mm-hmm. be honest about what's really going on in these review process. Right. Right. Um, right. and, and, you know, like, some of the stuff that's positive, I mean, because you do need to have a function within organizations that kind of have these conversations. Is it, you could document reasons for personnel decisions, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. training opportunities, promotions, merit pay increases. Like, hey, you know, based on these criteria for performance, um, you know, you're getting the 2% raise rather than the 4% raise, you know, mm-hmm. and having some kind of documentation but if, if you're waiting um, for the performance review section to have key conversation with your employees, you, you're missing the boat. Like, yeah, the performance review is good is because you're formalizing and documenting stuff that you've already talked about and should not be a surprise to anybody at that point, right? Uh, absolutely. I, I, that was something I was going to, you know, talk about here in a few minutes, but it's, you never want that, that meeting with your subordinates talking about their performance. You know, you're, you're going through their, their formal performance review. You never want for that meeting to be a surprise party. You don't want to be, you don't want to be saying, you know, for the first time, you know, I really think you missed the mark here or that shouldn't be the first time that you're telling them they're awesome. Uh, we'll get into that in a few minutes. I think about, you know, the, the tremendous value that can come from high-quality, frequent conversations between supervisors and employees about performance. And that's kind of separate from the formal performance review stuff, but it's super important when it comes to actual behavior. Uh, you know, performance reviews, the formal piece, they are good for those, you know, documenting perform- uh, per- personnel decisions. They're good for also maybe um, ensuring that at least, you know, your managers are talking about performance uh, on a periodic basis might help the person kind of let them know how they're stacking up in the organization. It also is an opportunity to help to uh, ensure that people's goals are aligned with those of the broader organization. Right. And, uh, you know, I think it's really interesting, too, to think about and take a look at how performance reviews over time have kind of evolved. And uh, there's a good article from uh, the Harvard Business Review in October 2016 called The Performance Management Revolution by Peter Capelli and Anna Tavis. And uh, there's uh, kind of a a nice um, outline or timeline of how these have evolved. And, you know, like a lot of management stuff, uh, especially when it comes to personnel-related things, um, started with the military, right? <laughs> so, right. you know, the, uh, <laughs> back at back at World War One, the, the U.S. military said, you know, we need to uh, create some sort of system to flag and dismiss poor performers. I mean, so that kind of was an original pers- purpose for this. Um, now, of course, you know, you can probably go back decades or millennia and find performance reviews that were done, you know, Perhaps back in ancient Greece, they did them. I don't know. Right. Um, but in, at least in recent history, this is where a lot of our, our thinking has come from. World War II, they, they start, the Army started to uh, use forced rankings to uh, kind of create a distribution of, hey, here are really top performers in terms of our enlisted folks. These are people who have the potential to become officers. 
Um, then after World War II, uh, companies started to use them uh, to start to document workers' performance and allocate rewards. And it's interesting because you think about it, a lot of the executives and managers in the 1940s, 1950s were military veterans who you know, are, were used to this process and were like, hey, we should probably start using this in our company too. Um, you know, and then it kind of evolved from there in the fifties and sixties in the sixties, you know, general electric really started to use performance appraisals, um, you know, to try to develop people as well as to, um, you know, hold people accountable. Um, 1970s started to get used more for merit pay type stuff. And then in the 1980s, we come back to GE and this is where Jack Welch, uh, just he was a CEO at the time and you know oftentimes hailed as this amazing CEO which is kind of debatable sometimes but right. um sorry you know, Jack just, yeah sorry uh, sorry <laughs> not sorry but yeah one of the things yeah one of the things that he did with performance reviews which has uh, you know a lot of people really have problems with is they had this whole force distribution thing that was pretty famous where you know, regardless of how people in your department or your, in your team performed, you had to rate, you know, you could only rate certain number of people at the top. Um, and then you could, you know, rank the other people and they're like the A players and you could rank most of them you could put into the B category. And then I believe it was like the, the lowest 10% or something like that. You had to give them the C rating and those C rate C rated people were, uh, definitely on the fast track to being removed from the organization, uh, you know, to kind of continually cleanse the organization of, of I guess, the, the bottom of the heap. Now, it makes sense if you actually have people who are poor, poor performers. But imagine you have a department or a team where everybody truly is awesome. That's, right. Th- that what, sucks, what if, right? What if the difference between your top performer and your bottom performer is less than half of 1%? Right. Do you right. really turn that that ninety nine point nine five person over to a competitor? Right. Well, yeah. In Jack's world, you did exactly, and th- so you know that that was a program that, in a philosophy towards performance reviews, that created a lot of angst. Um, and and actually, you know, over time, they have actually gotten uh, rid of that system, and they've played around with a few different other ideas related to performance reviews over time. Um, right, and the str- the struggle's real because if yeah. you're sitting at top of a large organization, the challenge with these performance reviews is how the heck do you get a culture and your management all up and down through the ranks calibrated to making decisions and ensuring that you have top talent performing in top manners? And mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you'll see a similar approach in organization. Oh, we've got a you know, cut costs. Well, they may say everybody takes a 10% hit because, you know, people will dig their heels in and, and try to make, and then you have this like three year discussions about cutting costs when you need to cut costs right now. Right Mm -hmm. now, arguably you should have something in place to make more nuanced decisions before then. So you can have those three years of conversations, you know, over three years, but you know, it, it's challenging, you, especially the bigger an organization gets. There's a lot of dead weight floating around often or sub-optimized teams. So like in Jack's defense, you know, he was trying something um, mm-hmm. to, to get something done. Um, 
And, you know, that's kind of like where the performance review, you know, a positive that's not talked about is it's kind of a temperature check on your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. if you are always having to chase down managers who are late on their performance reviews, what does that tell you about your process, right? Yeah, yeah. You it, know, probably tells you a couple, it probably tells you, A, maybe your process just stinks and is, is unwieldy. Could also tell you that there's not enough emphasis on the importance of it, and they're just kind of you know using it as a check in the box type thing. Yeah, like you know some some companies like the budgeting process. Oh yeah, we've got budgeting. Some people actually do the budgeting, but other people are so drowning in work that they quick 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 do a bunch of work, and then like at the last minute they just raise everything by three percent or something, and they're asked <laughs> right. So it's like right. hey hey Phil or Debbie. Where's your, uh, where's your team's reviews? Where's your team reviews? And then they just, you know, over a six pack of beer, you know, fill it in one night and quick line everybody up. And yeah. the employees know that, you know, that that wasn't real. Um, mm-hmm. But you can use that as a positive to, you know, one of the things you can do is have your employees rate how was the review process. Mm. And that can mm-hmm. help you target those managers that may need coaching on how to conduct these reviews. But, right. but you need something yeah. better for them than, say, a PowerPoint class and, hey, go get it done, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we can talk a little bit about some of that here in a, in a few minutes. I think maybe now we can turn our attention to some of the reasons why Performance reviews are bad. You know, I've I have no kidding been at uh, standing room only debates at um, conferences on <laughs> whether or not performance reviews should be abolished or kept within organizations. I remember one. You know, this this it was actually a standing room only debate. Like they there were people packed into this room trying to figure it out. There were some. You know, was this just uh, academics? What 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 was the four? It, it, it was it was about half academics and half folks from industry. Oh, I see. Um, and uh, it was funny. There were a bunch of you know um, uh, graduate students there who are all starstruck and eager to learn. And it was it was kind of funny actually. I I stood up in the back because I'm a little bit taller than most people, so um, being nice. But anyway, you know uh, the some of the reasons why. Um, performance reviews are bad that, that came out in that session and the, some that have been discussed uh, quite a bit in recent years in particular. And, and are, some of these are reasons why many big companies have actually abolished performance reviews and have said, we're just not going to do this crazy thing anymore. Um, you know, one of the reasons is kind of an obvious one, which is that, you know, you ask managers, do you like doing performance reviews? Is this a useful thing? No. And yeah, they all they, they say no. And they don't like them. They're a hassle. And then you ask the the people who are being rated, do you like being rated this way? Is it working for you? And they say no, right? Um, they, they also see it as a perfunctory administrative task, what we would call in uh, the military, we call it administrivia. Right. right, it's just not something as useful. And uh, another big reason is that the research suggests that there isn't a strong connection between doing performance reviews and actual performance or behavior change. Right? Yeah, it's and kind so, of like the the philosophy of jail, right? So mm-hmm. some people say, "Well, wh- why do we have jail to punish people?" 
And mm-hmm. but if you take an outcome based approach, uh, approach what what would what would the purpose of any kind of punitive process be? It, it would be to well we whatever we do we want to reduce crime. Actually, we don't want right. to have to send people to jail. And and that's I mean I guess it's bad to compare performance review to jail, but (laughs) (laughs) well, but I think what to your point though, it's about, you know, thinking about the, what are you actually trying to do with it? Right. Right. So if you were actually, if you were actually trying to perhaps, you know, reduce crime or make sure people don't come back to jail, then maybe there'd be more of an emphasis on rehabilitation. Right. I think that's kind of the point you're getting at versus just punishment. Um, You know, in the performance review situation, if you're trying to get performance or behavior change, then probably the formal performance review process is not something that's going to necessarily help as we've already discussed. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And you know, another reason why performance reviews are bad is that we just stink as humans when it comes to judging the performance of other people. We're just not very good at it. Um, There are a number, especially if we aren't trained well and we haven't had good practice one of the biases, or there's a whole host of biases that can come into play, but um, when rating other people's performance, one of the more common ones is what we call the recency bias. You know, so you're imagine you're a manager and you got to rate somebody's performance, and uh, you know you're you're like God. Say it's an annual review. You're like what? Yeah, you're gosh, probably this... thinking back to the last couple of weeks. Like, <laughs> right, did this guy exactly. make me mad in the last month? Uh, yeah, okay, I mean, he's he, good. Uh, <laughs> well, and it, it it could be intentional or it could be just unintentionally, like just those recent events cloud our judgment about the person's overall performance o- during that entire year. Uh, so that, that certainly can creep into play, you know, and <laughs> it's funny, I, I half jokingly, but not totally jokingly, um, tell my MBA students, I say, look, like, you know, because of the recency bias, you should probably know when your performance review is, and you know, in the month or two beforehand, be try good to be for extra. Santa. Yeah, 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 yeah. Be extra awesome because <laughs> uh, that will happen, right? Now, that's just kind of career advice uh, in the modern organization. Another bias that can come into play is what we call the similar to me bias, where we tend to you know see people and develop uh, better relationships with people who are similar to us. Uh, it's uh, you know just a common phenomenon. Um, we can also sometimes pick one aspect of their behavior, be it a good thing or a bad thing, and that kind of overshadows everything. So, right. you know, if it's a good thing, we call it the halo bias, uh, you know, where this person, maybe they're an interpersonal train wreck, but they are a technical expert on something and they help the team or the organization get out of a jam, you know, recently. Uh, and so we give them a good review. That's the halo bias. And the horn bias is, you know, kind of the opposite. It's like they screwed up one thing and that overshadows their entire performance. Managers also sometimes will fall victim to, uh, other biases related to how they actually rate people quantitatively. So, you know, they may be overly severe. They may be overly lenient. They may just rate everybody in the middle. Right. And, uh, you know, so these issues of bias and, in-group, out-group, favoritism stuff. Fear of confrontation. Yeah, yeah. A- well, absolutely. It can absolutely start to creep into the performance review process. Yeah, and also, you know, another negative is is they just take a lot of time. Yeah. You know, so sometimes, you know, HR is super proud. Look, we have this super robust process, and it is like, gosh, it's just so 
I mean, there's just no way, right? Mm-hmm. And then if the organization's not calibrated well, what if you've got to rate like 40 people? You're mm-hmm. like a um, floor manager at a plant or something like that. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. You know, you have a whole month of your time just eaten up on these reviews, which, you know, you may in the first couple of years you work there try to do a really good job with them. But as time goes on, you're like, oh, gosh, we just got to get some work done besides yeah. reviews. Right. And if you deliver that feedback in a poor manner, then you could actually have the reverse effect that you're trying to have. You could actually undermine the person's confidence. You could damage relationships. I remember specifically one instance uh, in which a performer uh, was rated lower than he expected. So he, right. he thought he was going to get a pretty good review got a kind of middle-of-the-road review. It wasn't bad. It was just kind of middle-of-the-road. And this person's, I mean, they're, because it was unexpectedly lower than he expected, I mean, you, you can imagine what happened to his motivation and his pr- productivity in, in like the month or two beyond that. Um, and, and actually even longer. It took a while for, for him to get out of that mindset of you know, having been wronged by the organization. Sure. And and then, like, if you're the manager, it can undermine your authority within the group. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you and I've coached uh, people, managers doing reviews and executives conducting reviews. And if somebody had the gumption to stand up for themselves, it's like, hey, no, I need you to describe to me why I'm middle of the road and what I got to do to be top <laughs> line, which is an excellent question. And then you'd see that executive be like, uh, um... Well, and then it just came up, comes across as, well, obviously, uh, this is important. It's a way I document your performance formally with HR, and I really mm-hmm. just didn't put in the time or have clear thoughts or justification for my ratings. Right, right. That's a whole another set of reasons why these uh, systems oftentimes aren't, um, aren't good. And, and, you know, another kind of general idea here is that if we are trying to increase someone's performance, we're trying to improve their skills, their knowledge, help them to develop as a human, uh, you know, this idea that we can formalize it and we can make it something where we, you know, put some literal checks in boxes, we can write some comments and that that's going to change performance. It, it's formalizing something that by its very nature is much more dynamic. It's uh, it's a much you know more complex type of process. This idea of developing people. Uh, so you know if you're doing performance reviews just to develop people, um, that's probably only you know I would say maximum you know twenty five percent of the solution. Yeah, um, no, nobody in learning and development at a serious organization would say, I know, we want to increase the capacity of our staff, so we're going to do monthly performance reviews because this is the best way to get people to improve. Like, just never go to that solution. Yet, that's kind of the auspice by which performance reviews are, you know, given, right? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. And so another reason that performance reviews are not so great is that it's just not an agile type of, process, uh, especially when it's just done once a year. Um, you know, if you wait an entire year to tell someone about either their good or their bad performance, 
that's problematic. Right. You know, and uh, they're going to feel like it was unfair to them, especially if they were told that they were doing poorly. Um, it's also just not good for the organization or the team. You know, if someone's uh, doing something, um, you know, great, tell them about it soon. Um, don't wait until, you know, they, they feel underappreciated and decide to look for employment elsewhere to tell them that they were awesome and that they should stick around you on the same. It. Yeah. And on the same, uh, token, like <laughs> if, if they're performing poorly, if it's damaging the team, if it's keeping your, your organization from, uh, performing in an optimal manner, then you know, that should be addressed right away. You know, don't wait. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's important to, to keep that in mind. And it's, you know, some organizations have tried to make the performance review more of an agile thing by saying, we're going to do them more frequently, which, which may be part of the, uh, part of the solution, but I think that's, that can also be a little bit problematic. So, um, you know, that's another whole set of reasons why performance reviews are not so great. Right. And and so, Ben, like, so with a lot of work being team-based, you know, now we said mm-hmm. agile, we're talking more organizational agility. But that, that being said, if you're on a scrum team, right, where you agree as a team what your sprint goals are and you as a team are responsible for uh, delivery back to the organization, you know, that individual... Um, performance review and assessment, right? You know, how's that working out with the team? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, especially if you're, if you're incentivizing and or rewarding behavior at the individual level that is contrary to the goals of the team, then you're going to have, uh, it's going to influence your, your ability to have great teams, Right, because and, you're always going to make sure that, okay, yeah, I'm working as a team, working as a team, and then like, look at me, I'm a rock star, like just a mm-hmm. little bit, so you can have that good review um, if your goal is promotion or salary increase, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think you know, all of these are reasons why some people argue that performance reviews belong in the, the ash heap of history alongside uh, communism the Ford Pinto and sit-ups, right? <laughs> Man, <laughs> what what a comparison there. So, so let's talk about like what are these what are some implications for people in the organization? Right. Um, yeah, so um you know, I go back and forth on this a little bit, but my uh thinking about this over the past decade or so and you know, looking at the research and seeing what organizations are doing uh, has led me to, to kind of think that there's there is a a path forward, uh, and you know it's interesting. Some of these organizations that have gotten rid of the performance review, um, they said that you know for all the reasons we just discussed, they a number of them have said uh, after about a year or so, let's bring it back. Uh, we kind of need to bring this back, and um, so I think that it's it is important. Uh, it is to have something formal in place for those legal and administrative reasons to ensure, for example, that if you are going to sack an employee, uh, that you are doing so for uh, a performance-related reason and that it's documented. You know, I hate to, to think like, like attorneys, um, but it is important um, to, to, to have that in mind. 
and I think it can help the organization and the person to uh, to see things as being more fairly administered within the company. Well, and so, yeah, and if you if you've got um, if you're HR, you want to make sure that your managers aren't just letting people go for dumb reasons. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. if you look at a write up of somebody that gets documented with HR and it's just garbage, mm-hmm. you need to have a chat with that. You know, maybe that manager is the one that needs to go, not the people on his team or her team. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you've got to have something formal that's in place for those reasons, uh, which is one reason why formal performance reviews are important. And, you know, also to help to fairly, uh, uh, make decisions about certain um, things like promotions and so forth uh, to try to, to try to keep that as fair as possible. Um, you know, so that's one implication. You know, so have something in place for for those reasons. However, if you as an organization, as a leader, want to have improved performance by your people, then you really need to focus on that relationship that develops between supervisors and direct reports. And and people have to have continual conversations about feedback because that's critical um, about their performance, right? That's what's important for actual performance improvement. And, you know, so in that standing room only debate that I referenced earlier about this whole topic, one of the things that both sides completely agreed upon was that we have to focus on good relationships and communication patterns between supervisors and direct reports to ensure that performance actually improves to help with some of the behavioral change that we might want to see in people for the organization's benefit. And, you know, this is not a popular thing to tell most organizations, Right. It, it requires a set. So if you're an HR professional, let me just speak very specifically to you. The performance review is about documenting and certain legal stuff. Stop using it as a tool that it's not built for. If you want to develop mm-hmm. your people, that's a learning development, training opportunity, coaching. If you have a bunch of managers that aren't good coaches, don't know how to develop people, then maybe you start your learning uh and development and, you know, training programs with those personnel, right? Um, right? A lot of these handshakes. So it's not something like you can take something off the shelf or just do it because most organizations do this really badly. You need to work to develop a holistic, and this is why it comes off the rails a lot of times because people don't have a core competency in how to develop that. Work with some professionals to develop what should our performance review look like. Great then we got to socialize that so everybody who's been institutionalized, as we say, the Shawshank Redemption (laughs) effect at other organizations where these have been done brutally horrible, um, you know, it damages people. And so you need to be very specific. Our performance, uh, annual performance review process is this. We're going to, it is legal and it is to formalize promotion raises, but it should be formalizing conversations we've been having all the time. So when you're talking about that debate that was had that both sides agreed that, hey, the key point is here is we need to develop positive relationships. And it's about, you know, the human handshake of getting along. Well, mm-hmm. when you have power structures, how much of a real relationship can you have 
uh, with somebody that determines what kind of paycheck you bring home to provide for yourself or your family, right? Yeah. You know, there's all of these structural power things that we, we're talking about culturally now, which is a, a positive. But when you have that performance review process, you have all those issues. It, it It's really challenging to have those human conversations, right? Yeah. So performance review should focus on those legal. You've got to communicate to everybody exactly what is the scope and limit that scope to something that can have a, um, that can be effective so everybody understands that piece and then side by side with that you've got your learning and development training programs all of those kind of items and ways to have conversations that build the human interaction piece around what we're actually trying to achieve as an organization absolutely so the reason I was thinking about it, you know, not being a popular thing for us to tell organizations in terms of, hey, you've got to develop these great relationships between supervisors and direct reports is, wait, I just thought that I could, you know, sign up for this new uh, automated platform that could do performance reviews and that was going to fix all this, this nonsense. This platform and, has AI. That's a buzzword yeah. right now. But it <laughs> has right. AI, Ben. <laughs> yeah, well, um, th- that's great. Uh, but I-, I think it's important to have... Uh, you know, those those ongoing conversations, those good relationships that develop between supervisors and their their people. And it's a, you know, this is a, a long-term ongoing uh, play for an organization. It's saying, hey, this is the kind of culture we want. We want to have a feedback-centric culture. We want to have these good relationships so that people can have those difficult conversations if needed. They're also letting people know when they're doing the right thing so that we can continually, as an organization, uh, reinforce what right looks like. And, uh, you know, so a lot of it comes back to, to communication and leadership types of skills. Um, you know, I think, so those, that's one implication, I think, for uh, organizations. Um, for individuals, you know, if you're thinking about your own performance in your organization and this whole, these, all these topics, um, you've got to develop good relationships around you, right? right. Built upon trust and common goals uh, and you want to, you know, have those relationships and norms being built that make conversations about pr- performance normal. Like it's just not this thing that we, uh, you know, it's it's not this huge thing that, um, pr- you know, makes people anxious and so forth. You want it to be productive. Yeah, and- absolutely. It's, especially if you're stuck. So sorry if you're stuck in an organization that's doesn't do so well with these processes. But if you have to, you know, whether you're in an organization that does this well, or if you're in an organization um, that does this poorly, those relationships, you know, what we learn from the data and everything is how you're perceived within the organization, especially by the person that's rating you, is going to have a big impact on Mm -hmm. how well you do. Right, right. You know, and it's important to remember that feedback doesn't just need to travel in one direction. Yeah, from from supervisors to direct reports. I was uh, just talking with my my MBA students recently about ethical issues, and you know, one thing we talked about is how important it is to have people around you. If you are the leader, if you are the supervisor, the a manager who has power and authority, you want to have people around you who are not only willing but able, and uh, you know, will will call you on your missteps and will help you to avoid 
you know, making bad decisions that will, you know, let you know if you've screwed something up. And that's, that's turning a lot of kind of our norms around how organizations should work on their heads. But, um, you know, having that kind of feedback environment is very important for all the people involved. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, being a, as an employee, also being a trusted advisor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, so I think there are also some things that we can do to frame feedback better. So there are a couple different techniques that I like to use. Uh, one is talking about the situation. So if, let's say I'm having a performance feedback with you, Chris, and I'm saying, you know, remember when we recorded our <laughs> podcast last time? And uh, you'll say, yes, I remember when we recorded our podcast. It was 4.30 so a.m. when everyone was <laughs> yeah, asleep. Yeah, your time. Um, so, you know, that's that helps to frame it and say, this is a specific situation. And then say, well, remember how you did X, Y, or Z? Something very specific, some sort of behavior that I observed and that I can point to. Right. And then I can talk about the impact and say, when you did X, Y, or Z, that had um, this type of impact, right? Um, and this could be, you can use this for good stuff and bad stuff. Oftentimes we just kind of uh, gravitate towards the negative, but I could say, you know, uh, yesterday or, you know, the other day, uh, Chris, when, you know, you took our podcast and you uh, um, edited it and you worked with all the different things related to sound quality, uh, you know, you spent a lot of time on that. And uh, I just want to let you know the impact that that had in terms of really making me feel like I can trust you with these types of things. It made me um, see how, you know, this, all the, the work we're doing is going to work really well. And that's a really great thing, right? That, I mean, that's a way to frame a positive using situation, behavior, and impact. And you, of course, you can do the same thing for all the negatives. And, I, you know, I could, for example, coach you on all of your personal hygiene issues um, that way, but maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll do that outside of the podcast. Um, <laughs> another, um, another way that uh, I've heard that I think is, has some use uh, is to frame feedback in terms of, hey, like these, these are some things you should continue doing because they're really great. And here are some things you should consider doing. And I think that's just a nice, a, a little bit of a softer way to deliver feedback um, because, and it's useful because when we start to, when we start to get attacked or we start to feel like we're getting attacked with negative feedback, exactly. we, be, we, people get very defensive quickly and then they stop hearing and it's much more about, Hey, like this person doesn't like me and they're picking on me. Well, and they should so get can, defensive because you're not, you're not coming across as a partner that, that gives a rip about that person. Right. Right. And, yeah, and these yeah. platitude type things like, hey, you're doing a really good job. Well, that, that mm -hmm. doesn't help somebody. Um, if somebody tells me, I'm like, like, hey, thanks for that. What specific, I mean, you can ask for the leadership you need if, if your managers aren't giving you that. What specifically am I doing well that I should keep doing? Mm -hmm. And thanks for that input. Is there anything that I should consider doing differently? You know, yeah. having those concrete things that, you know, it's about like, creating that partnership that allows you to work together towards a more productive um, working relationship, right? Right, right, right. And, uh, you know, I think, so there's a situation, behavior, impact, continue, consider. Those are things to think about. Right. Uh, I would encourage organizations and, and managers to not use the uh, the feedback sandwich. Oh, yeah. Which is, you know, where you... Uh, 
Here's something great about you. And now here's the baloney piece. And then like, (laughs) here's something great about... So, you know, doing that kind of thing, anytime somebody says something nice, you start to wince like, oh, great. Where's Where's the bad... What what's <laughs> what comments coming next, right? Right. That that absolutely could be a reaction, and you know it just can be kind of confusing. Now, in an, in a performance conversation, you might have both positive and negative things to say, uh, and you can do that. But it's important to I, I think don't don't do it in that order of positive, negative, positive, because then you're it, it kind of loses some of the meaning. Well, and then your positives don't mean anything. But um, right. So, so Ben, you're talking about you know your MBA students. Um, why don't you share with our listeners that has anyone seen my stapler? Uh, <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. So I do. Uh, I play this funny game in uh, some of my classes, um, having to do with performance uh, feedback or feedback in general, and different styles that oftentimes uh, occur. And I call it, has anyone seen my stapler? And I have this red swing line stapler that's just like Milton's uh, yes. uh, red swing line stapler. from office. Yes. are welcome. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, has anyone seen my stapler? Um, yeah. And so what I do is I, uh, I, I tell the whole class, I say, we're going to play a game called, has anyone seen my stapler? And I need four volunteers, and they're going to go outside of the room, but when they come back in, uh, they need to, quite simply, find the stapler. And so I get four volunteers, send them out of the room, and I take the stapler and I put it somewhere. Uh, and then I bring in one the, one of the people, uh, so they come in one at a time. One person comes in and I say, well, before they come in, I, I tell the whole class, I say, all right, so we're going to give this first person the silent treatment where uh, just don't say anything, don't look at them, uh, don't react. And so the person walks in, and they know they're supposed to find the stapler, but no one will look at them. It's quiet. I won't look at them. It's it's super <laughs> awkward, and, and it's, but but so awesome at the same time. And so they're they're kind of like looking around. Um, eventually, maybe they'll find it. Usually, they don't find the stapler. You know, I let it go for for a little period of awkwardness, and then I you know break character and uh, you know give them a round of applause and tell them where the stapler is. All right, so. That's the, the silent treatment. Uh, then I usually ask the whole class, I say, okay, out of the three people who are still out there, who do you think can kind of take, uh, you know, us being just really negative? And so they'll say, uh, you know, so-and-so probably can, can handle that because I don't want to emotionally damage any of my students. And so... Besides you know, what you're teaching <laughs> does anyway, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I'll bring in um, the next student and... Uh, I, I say, okay, we're, well, yeah, I say, we're just gonna give this person just general negative feedback. So they walk in and the whole class, you know, we'll boo and we'll, um, just tell them that they're screwing up and that they'll never find it. Um, but not specific, just general negative feedback. And they're, you know, they're, they're usually kind of taken aback and, uh, they, they may find it eventually, or they may just kind of quit. Um, and then for the next one, I say, okay, the next person who comes in, we're going to give them general positive feedback. Just tell them to keep it up and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the next person walks in and, you know, I, we all start cheering, you know, you're awesome. Keep it up. You can do this, but not saying anything, anything specific. And they usually, you know, don't find the stapler. Or it takes them quite a while, just like the general negative one. And then for the last one, I say, okay, the next person comes in, we're going to give them specific feedback. We'll answer any question that they 
that they have provided it's not just like where's a stapler right you know they gotta we will we'll kind of guide them really uh, appropriately but they come in and uh usually it's like hey you're getting warmer you're getting colder and very quickly they they usually find the stapler and it's a silly game but it, it's i use that to highlight these four different common styles of feedback the silent one oftentimes employees have no idea how they're doing they get no feedback a lot of times they may just get general negative feedback you know you need to work harder fix this that kind of stuff even more common probably is the general positive feedback it's like hey just keep it up you're doing great it might make you feel good for a moment but it doesn't reinforce any specific behavior and it doesn't help you be effective right no no it doesn't because i don't know what it is that you're talking about that i did well and so of course the better way to go about this is to have that specific feedback uh where you're you're being uh, precise in what you're talking about maybe using the situation the behavior the impact to talk about things right Uh, you know i think that's just such a good example and you know everybody has different families of origin and different ways in which they grew up different learning experiences uh, within and outside academic environments you know But across all those different backgrounds, these type of feedback, you know, specific feedback is always better um, for driving, driving the kind of stuff that you want. Now, some people, you know, like that's the challenge of using the term coaching. You know, people have different relationships with coaches. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes a coach that's very demanding and a bit of a jerk, you know, gets performance, right? But mm-hmm. could we really point to that that methodology as being the better way or just that point in time, right? Mm-hmm. So regardless, specific feedback is going to help calibrate um, and manage that difference between the people who come from all different types of backgrounds and that manager that also has a different background. That That's the bridge there. Right. Um, another important thing um, that's an implication for people and organization is like having an easy system to use. Right. So if it's mm-hmm. a formal system that's part of your stuff, it needs to be simple and not bogged down. You need to also have meaningful training for those managers on how to use them and a good communication plan um, for as part of your onboarding for new employees and for anybody mm-hmm. that 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 goes through that kind of stuff, that they have a clear understanding of what it is and what it's not. It's not a coaching system, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. And uh, when we talk about those different biases that can creep into how managers rate people, um, learning about those biases can't might be a little bit helpful, um, but actually the research is kind of mixed on this, right? If I just tell you all about the recency bias, um, That might help you a little bit, but it might not actually change your behavior much. What is actually better is what we call frame of reference training. And frame of reference training is all about getting your managers calibrated on what right looks like and how to rate people in a similar way. So, you know, it involves going through the process of your performance review and talking about, you know, what does a one look like on on this uh, dimension? What does a five look like? And you could even have um, some examples. You know, you could have a scenario, a written scenario about an employee. Everybody rates it individually. 
And then you talk about your ratings and you start to have a conversation about it. And uh, you could even have videos where you're rating someone's performance, perhaps, you know, all kinds of different ways you could do this. Um, but what it does is it, in addition to helping the, the managers have a good frame of reference, that's why it's called frame of reference training, for how they're going to judge performance, it also really creates this alignment across managers about what, uh, you know, how they're going to um, communicate and uh, assess what types of behavior are expected in the organization. Uh, so it can kind of create a lot of alignment there. Now, of course, this is not, uh, this is not kind of a cursory type of training. This is something that, that takes time. Uh, it takes a lot of effort. Yeah, if, but, you, if you really care about this, you've got to invest organizational time and resources into equipping your manager. Right, and, right. And don't, I, don't make it secret, the criteria. You know, this is a way to kind of formalize some of those situation behavior impact or continue consider items into a form. Um, mm-hmm. So if I'm going to be rated by uh, a manager and he has what a, you know, one looks like and what a five looks like, if it's on a one to five scale, say, I, I should know that. So I can say, well, gee, I want to get a five here. So I need to exhibit these behaviors as I conduct uh, my affairs in the organization. You got it. You got it. And above all, I think it's important for organizations to always remember that fairness is super important, important for any kind of conversations about performance, uh, any kind of use of a performance review system. And it's, again, both both that objective fairness and subjective fairness. People need to see it as a fair process. They need to understand it in advance. I remember once uh, you and I were brought into a company that they wanted to have, they had a new competency model and they wanted some training on the competency model for all their employees because the reviews, the performance reviews on that competency model was going to start in like a month. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> and we, we, we said, well, first of all, uh, that's not going to work. Uh, and second of all, if you're going to do, if you're going to base your performance review on some sort of competency model, that training needs to start way in advance, uh, probably like a year. You need to really have um, some good conversations across the organization about what that means. And so people can, can feel like it's a fair process. Because otherwise, you know, you tell me about X, Y, or Z that's important here, and then you're rating me on it next month? Yeah, I, I haven't even had a time to calibrate my behavior to the new norms and expectations. It's Absolutely. And organizations do this all the time. I mean, it's well-meaning, or sometimes HR needs a win with the C-suite. Look what we did this year. But yep. it it'll kill your culture so fast. And, and then after it kills its culture, it, it'll solidify a, a negative culture within your organization that, that will be hard to recover from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. So let's uh, kind of wrap up here. Um, so more harm than good performance review um, in a lot of places, but it can be really awesome if calibrated and done right. So we talked about what performance reviews are and how they may fit under the umbrella of performance management. Um, We talked about some good things and not good things about them. Uh, The importance of ongoing feedback uh, conversations between managers uh, and employees. Um, Mm -hmm. And we also talked about the needs to, you know, how are you going to do coaching, right? Which, you know, performance review 
as the idea of, okay, we actually want to increase performance and how maybe a formalized process might not be the best format for you to execute those goals. Absolutely. So there are good reasons to have a performance review process. Uh, it might not be all about performance improvement, actually. Uh, those ongoing feedback conversations between managers and employees, that's absolutely critical. Uh, so that's, I think that's, that about covers it for today. Um, yeah, I also want to give a shout out to Lee, um, yeah. Lee Williams, um, for her research assistance with this episode. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.